We're back. As promised at the top of the show, we're now going to have a, uh, a special visitor, an envoy, as it were, from New York City, the Big Apple, returning home to his California roots, the former general manager of this station, KDVS, Stephen Valentino. Welcome back to Radio Parallax, Steve. Thanks for having me, Doug. Now, uh, you've been gone how long? Uh, a year now. Well, s- close to a year, nine months. And you are working for Sirius. Satellite Radio, OutQ 109. Another show is called OutQ? Uh, no, the channel is OutQ. It's uh, a gay, lesbian, transsexual, transgender-themed radio station, 24 hours a day, and I work on the late-night lesbian talk show. I see. And this can be heard here in California when? Nationally. Uh, it can be heard nationally, and it's from 7 to 10 every night. Our time. So you're back there You're back there stoking the fires 10 to 1 a.m.? Yes. So you go to work at 10 p.m.? Uh, around 9 I hop on my bike, and then I'm in the city 30 minutes later. Well, that, yeah. that's interesting. I mean, you were riding a bike around Davis for many years. What's it like uh, being on a bicycle in the Big Apple? Scary. <laughs> Invigorating. You feel like you're going to die at any moment. you really dodging cars? Well, and... I've been hit by a cab. Oh, nice. Yeah. And how'd that pan out? The cab came up behind me really fast, and it bumped my back tire and almost sent me over the handlebars. Mm-hmm. So I got off the, my bike and started kicking the back of his cab, <laughs> screaming obscenities at him. And then I Was he apologetic? No, he sped off. <laughs> but I felt like, wow, I really am officially a New Yorker now. I guess Because so. I can scream obscenities at people on the street. There you go. And feel okay about myself. There you myself. go. When in Rome, do yeah. as the Romans do. Yes. My heart has stopped bleeding. Well, I imagine this really is culture shock, California, East, West, going from the West Coast to the East Coast. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, people definitely have a different attitude towards life there. They're more than willing to, like, lecture you on the street about something. <laughs> Let's go into a little detail on that. It's sort of a cliche about the New Yorker. Right. Because that, that scene from, uh, I forget the movie, was it Terms of Endearment? Someone's uh, chewing someone out or being very, very nasty to someone in line. I think it was the John Lithgow character in the movie says... Uh, Sort of saying, you were being very hard on, on Miss So-and-so. And she goes, well, I don't think I was being so hard on her. And he goes, well, then you must be from New York. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like that? A little bit. I mean, New Yorkers are generally actually can be very nice people. I mean, on the subway platform, people will generally get out of your way. And people can actually be really friendly, but also they can turn on you in an instant. Can you give us any for instances? I mean, I'm sure you've had a few few episodes, maybe. or Are they, just, are they so many, they all blend to one another? Uh, well, one time... I was coming home, just I was like out shopping, and all of a sudden my super comes running out of the building. Big old scary. Wait, well, woman. let's clarify. I always hear that term "super" when New York stuff. That's oh. the, the supervisor of the building. The superintendent. Okay. Yeah, and mine is this kind of big scary woman who is kind of witch-like, and she cornered me and she said, "What's someone put a barbecue on the roof? It was, why are you, why did you put the barbecue on the roof? What what's wrong with you? You're gonna burn the entire building down." <laughs> And I'm like, listen, lady, I have no idea what you're talking about. Is you that, know? Is, now I have to ask, is that true? No, it's true. <laughs> okay. You had nothing to do with that barbecue. Nothing to do with all that right. at all. All right. But Why'd she finger you? Because I'm the only person who makes eye contact with her. So. <laughs> well, you know, you actually hear that. that that One of the rules of living in New York, never, don't make eye contact. No, I, you learn this the hard way. Like, on the subway, if you make eye contact with crazy people, they think that's an invitation to come talk to you. Wow. They're going to be asking you for money or basically telling you which planet they're from. You know, I, I, I'm ashamed to admit this on this program, but I, I, at this point I think I must. I, I have been to 
72, 73 countries around the world. I've only been to New York City for a grand total of 24 hours in my life. And, and I need to correct that. What were you doing there? I took off as a student from this fine institution just to travel around the country in, in the fall of, I guess it was, God, 1973. Went back to uh, visit a friend in Rochester, New York. A high school buddy of mine was at the University of Rochester. Then went from there down into, into Boston and back down to New York City. I do remember going on the subway, and a fellow entered the subway car with looking like um, a makeup job that would have been appropriate for maybe like Raggedy Ann, the dolls. <laughs> I mean, sort of you know, red, bright red cheeks. And he was wearing what looked to be sort of a, a tutu that was composed of shredded newspaper. It is as if the newspaper had been, it looked like, looked like um, I guess a hula skirt would be appropriate. Shredded newspaper looking like he was about to dance the hula sitting on, the, and I thought, boy, I, I, I am in New York. Wow, I wonder if he's still single. But, I, I imagine he is. <laughs> but no, I mean, you were in New York in the 70s. Like, that was before Giuliani, like, melted down oh, yeah, all I was the poor there, people and yeah. used them to fill the potholes. Like, yeah, when I was there, it was still the Sin City down there in Times Square, and I heard that, you know, that's been gone for a long time. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you hear stories about it, and I guess, you know, I mean, people romanticize it. I yeah. mean, I imagine having to step over heroin needles every day to get to work is not that ideal. No. But Times Square in itself now is... I mean, it's kind of obnoxious. It's they still got of... the ad with the guy that's smoking the cigarette, blowing the smoke rings. No, I don't. I think that's been gone. Damn. Yeah. That was an institution that, that was there for decades. That sounds pretty awesome. So I, I take it that you're adapting well to all of the culture. Yes. There's a lot you can do. There is. I. It's sometimes overwhelming the amount of like options you have on a particular night, and it's harder to build relationships with people because there's so much going on that it's kind of hard to tack any person down for, like, an extended period of time. Because everyone's running off to Everyone's always running off other. to some stupid yeah. party or whatever. I yeah. mean, I, I miss California, and I miss Davis a lot in particular, because when you lived here, even, like, San Francisco, if you're with a group of people in San Francisco and someone says, oh, we need to go to, Doug, we need to go to this party. Everyone who's everyone is going to be there. You'd laugh, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, because that's a stupid thing to say. Right. But in New York City, if you said... We have to go to this party. Everyone who's everyone's going to be there. Uh -huh. People would start freaking about what they're going to wear. Well, you know, okay, well, who who would be including the list? Someone like Tom Wolf? I mean, who's who's everyone? Always Yoko. Yoko Ono. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever run into Yoko Ono? One of my friends works in a gallery in Chelsea, and Yoko Ono came in one day and spent fifty thousand dollars on a framed picture of crinkled up Hershey wrappers. A picture of it. Well, not a no, a pic, not a picture of it. It was a framed. Sure, she actually got the wrappers for her money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to get value for your dollar. <laughs> it's art, Doug. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about uh, professionally how things are going. Uh, a lot of us here you know, back in the sticks are kind of wondering what it's like there in the big, big old world of Sirius Satellite Radio. What's what, what's it like working on the show? Uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. You get some big name guests coming through. I mean, the show is really new, so we haven't had a lot of people. We just had Margaret Cho this week. But I work at New York Public Radio also one day a week, writing interview questions for a talk show much like yours. So I've got to interview people like Chris Matthews, uh, Tim Russert, Carl Bernstein, um, Joy Behar, who I know you're a huge fan of, Doug. Who is she? She's on The View. 
I don't watch the I, view. I, I, I know. All right, all right. Okay. So you, you basically, you're, you're penning questions for the host to then put... Yeah, I write, you know, I will read whatever book, whatever schlocky book they've written. So you I the have guy. to read through. I'm Un the guy. Unlike, unlike Radio Parallax, where the host actually has to read the book, on the show you work on, the host expects you to read the book and give, you, and give her the questions. Yes, I write all, I read it, I find whatever I think is interesting about it, I do additional research on the side, and then write up like a four-page set of questions. For them to use, and then I get to produce the segment, and I get to talk to people. So, what's it what's it like to write questions for a Tim Russert? Well, I mean, there was a lot of Judy Miller questions in there, definitely, and a lot of stuff about the lead up to the war, you know. And it's hard because I I interviewed Chris Matthews last week, and I really hate Chris Matthews. Why? Because he's just a. Can I say blowhard? Yeah, I can say that. That's, That's perfectly okay. legitimate English language. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. he's kind of a jerk. Yeah. Not a big fan, and so. You know, you're going into this and you have to write objective questions or fair questions. I can't ask, why are you a blowhard? <laughs> Although it would have been a pretty fair question. Yeah, I really. think so. I wish, you know? I wish you'd have tried it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he in the end, Matthews did like the interview, but he mm -hmm. came up to me and he said, you know, oh, those were really good questions, but you really, you know, you really came at me from a side that I wasn't expecting. You're, you're really like a mosquito. A mosquito. Yeah, and I, is that a compliment? Like, to have Chris Matthews uh, compare you to a mosquito? Is that like... You mean like you were, you were buzzing around him, annoying him? Yeah, I guess. Okay. You yeah. know, but I mean, it was kind of a compliment. I think it was kind of a compliment. You weren't going away, you were out there, and it's, you know, he wanted to just be tossed some softballs probably and move on. Right. No, I didn't Larry King him at all, you know? <laughs> good, good. You know? I just don't set him up for them to knock out of the park. How about Carl Bernstein? You were you were working on some questions about you wrote a book about Hillary Clinton, didn't yes, you? Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Anything interesting out of that interview? Very quiet, nice guy. I mean, you know, brought him in. It was very straightforward. Carl Bernstein. I mean, he did just did some good work. Yeah. No, I mean, no, no argument from me. He wasn't a CIA plant, so. Unlike his partner. Right. Yeah, Bob <laughs> Woodward. In case in case you wouldn't figure that one out, dear listener. All right. I'm really looking forward to the two of us being sent to Guantanamo. <laughs> Isn't that going to be so yes. like great to be a political prisoner? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that I am myself. really, I can't wait to get waterboarded. The trouble is orange is not my color, so I'm not <laughs> sure that's going to pan out. But No, but the stripes, the bars, it's very, you know, slimming. That's what they tell me. Yeah. But I think you want, but you want, you want the vertical stripes, not the horizontal. Right. Yeah. Okay. If you give, if you get a choice. <laughs> We should probably mention at some point how it is I, I managed to, to grab you here on your visit out to, to California. It wasn't necessarily well known that, that by odd coincidence, you're my nephew. Right. <laughs> right. No nepotism for all the years that I was general manager. You never I benefited never got once. A damn thing out of you being general manager. <laughs> should have made holidays interesting, though. The fact that I was your boss. That was good for a laugh at several conferences, as I recall. Yeah, the people at NPR were very amused when we went to that uh, Prindy conference back there, and uh, I mentioned oh, that you were my boss at the radio station. They said, hey, hey, what's going on? He's your nephew. <laughs> yeah, this might be a good time to mention, you know, you, you really ought to see if you can't get this program onto the Sirius Satellite station radio. Oh, yeah, I'm on it right now. Okay, I'm going to call my boss and my boss. Actually, I'm going to call Mel Karsman, the good. CEO. Good, good. And, uh, good, good, because hey, you can be sure to do that. I won't call the family attorney and get you written out of the will. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> because frankly, you've been back there one year and I'm getting no feelers from those people whatsoever. <laughs> and I'm wondering what the deal is. Hey, we're shopping it around. We don't know what network to put you on. All right. Well, I'm planning to make a personal visit to you and the big island of Manhattan, hopefully next month in November, which I can report on uh, for our listeners. And I'm expecting, well, I, I think it would be nice if you could just sort of show me around a bit. Well, of course, Doug. Okay. I mean, are you, are you buying? 
Yeah, yeah. You, okay. You, you be the, you play the tour guide. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll play... take you to the best restaurants in Manhattan. <laughs> and we need to get at least, at least one of those parties where everyone who's anybody's going to be there. Yeah, you, me, and Yoko. All right. Well, unfortunately, we do have some time constraints here. You're just making a quick visit, but you'll be back. I will. I will be appearing at the Sands tonight. <laughs> be sure to tip your way. Yes. <laughs> and everybody drive safe. <laughs> the former general manager of this station, KDVS, Stephen Valentino. We've got one final item to close uh, the show with, the UCD theme. The Sacramento Bee has been running a series where it looks back at the headlines that appeared in the paper over the last 150 years, and this item uh, caught our eye from the uh, Sunday, September 30th edition of the Bee. The, uh, the item was titled, In History's Spotlight, and referred to Peter J. Shields, who was known as the father of UC Davis. Shields formulated the idea, that was in 1899, to place an agricultural school in the Central Valley. In 1905, he wrote most of the legislation which established this school. Remarkably, Peter J. Shields was born in April of 1862, and he lived until September of 1962. Noted the paper, Shields was born in Hangtown Crossing, which is now part of Rancho Cordova. He grew up on a farm graduated from Christian Brothers College, which is now a high school, and he studied law. Peter J. Shields was, in fact, a law partner of Hiram Johnson, a man we've been meaning to talk to you about on this program for some time, and we will one day. But uh, Shields chose the bench while the fiery Johnson opted for politics, eventually becoming California's governor. Shields was elected to the Sacramento Superior Court judgeship in 1900 and held it until he retired in 1949 at age 87. Then, for another dozen years, he traveled daily from his 23rd Street home to the law office he maintained downtown. Shields' interests were diverse. He, uh, he was a co-founder of McGeorge School of Law. He was also an advocate of agricultural education and the improvement, in particular, of California livestock. Shields was known for developing a notable herd of Jersey cattle. The uh, Shields Library here on the campus of UC Davis is named after him, and so is a Rancho Cordova Elementary School. This reminds us we really do have to tell the story of Hiram Johnson on, on this program. Hiram Johnson should have been the President of the United States back in 1920. But thanks to the political wheeling and dealing in, in, in the original smoke-filled room, the Republican nomination instead went to Warren G. Harding of Ohio. The Harding administration set a standard for incompetence and corruption, which took uh, up till the present era to equal and exceed. And, and great quote from Hiram Johnson, which we have used on this program in the past, the first casualty in war is the truth. And we've got about one minute left, so let's do uh, one final human interest story. Apparently an Australian man last week finished a 6,000-mile trek from Mongolia to Hungary marching in the footsteps of Genghis Khan. Tim Cope, age 28, started out in Mongolia in 2004, figuring his trip would take 18 months. Instead, it took him three years. Cope depended upon the hospitality of nomads and villagers he encountered, and braving temperatures ranging from minus 60 to 130. That's quite a story. I wonder, I wonder if we can get Tim Cope on this program. We'll, we'll make inquiries. 
Anyway, that's it for the show. Our thanks to Jennifer Davidson and Stephen Valentino. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week at the same time. Even when I watch TV, there's a hole where you're supposed to be.